Black fans. <laughs> it's Michelle Joy Phelps, and I'm joined hey, now. <laughs> how are you, Eddie? Very good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Um, I saw your Instagram, your dilemma with the noisy neighbor. Yeah. I didn't sleep for two nights. And then you slept the whole day by mistake. Is that right? Yep. My media guy told me he was felt bad because, like, you had a noisy neighbor and then you couldn't sleep and then you just slept the whole day by mistake and you missed a little bit of activity so, for the media stuff. But yeah. the main thing's tomorrow. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. But I sleep with um, water sounds and I have a playlist on YouTube. So what I normally do is I, I put my phone on YouTube on the side and I just listen to the sounds and I fall asleep. Well, my dumbass decides to not plug the phone in and I put my Bose earphones in because I, obviously they're super no, like noisy, and the phone drained. It died, so I didn't, didn't get my alarm. OMG. <laughs> All right, look, before we start onto this boxing thing, I, I saw something interesting. Have you ever Googled yourself? Me? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I probably have, actually. Yeah? I mean, not recently, but why is anything bad on there? No. Do you, um, do you see, like, the most frequent questions that people ask about you? Uh, what, what were they? <laughs> Now I'm a bit scared. Okay. I'm going to ask you the top four questions okay. that people obviously type in because... Yeah. So when you can see that, like when they... Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go on then. But when it asks the question, I didn't click it to see like what their response to it was. Okay, there you go. All right. Okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> oh, it's personal. It probably is personal. Okay. The four most frequently questions asked when Googling Eddie Hearn. <laughs> Why is Eddie Hearn famous? <laughs> <laughs> That's not very good, yeah. But I guess that comes from the memes. Like the people who don't know who I am. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously if you follow me through boxing, you know what I do. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's a lot of people out there now who see me on these memes mm -hmm. and have absolutely no idea mm -hmm. who I am or what I do. So I think the memes have got so big, people are going, like it says, you know, out of context, Eddie Hearn or whatever. And they're just, or no context, Eddie Hearn or whatever. And they go, who is Eddie Hearn? Yeah. So they'll probably go, who is Eddie Hearn? Why is he famous? That's where I reckon that one's come from. Do you ever get people who pop up in your Insta live and they're like, who are you? Uh, no, but just like, people used to stop me to talk about boxing, mm -hmm. but now they stop me to talk about the memes a lot as well. Really? Do you know what I mean? Oh, I love that stuff you do on Instagram. It's like, it's not my profession. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, what did you do? I'm boxing, bro. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. I've only been sort of dedicated my whole life to that, but it's fine. If you like my memes, that's cool. You know what I mean? So, Doesn't yeah. Doesn't matter how they know you. The fact is, yeah. they know you. All right, second. Yeah. How much is math, match room worth? Is that what they say? Okay. Well, in the UK, um, we have something called Company's House which means that you can actually uh, request and see the financial information for all limited companies. So I don't have to talk about that. We're doing very well. We're a very successful business, but company's house, you can check Matrim's accounts and any other promoter in the world's accounts. All right. Well, that, I guess that kind of segues into the third question. It's uh, what is Barry Hearn's net worth? Really? Barry Hearn? <laughs> How much are you set to inherit, Ed? Uh, we, we joke about this all the time because, like, he started Matchroom, blimey, like 40 years ago, right? And like any business, had its ups and downs. But for the last 
12 years, it's just been flying. Mm -hmm. And I joined Matrim 12 years ago, right? So obviously I'm not saying I've been the sole factor, but box, you are. boxing is 50% of, of the group's, uh, you know, um, net worth really, and, or net profit. So I joke with him about that all the time. And I basically tell him that I saved him. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So as he fades away and he's slowly moving away from parts of the business, he will say to me, thanks dad, you know, for setting this all up for you. I said, setting it up for me. <laughs> Till I come along, you were just like barely breaking even. Yeah, now we're yeah. smashing it. It's gotta be, it's gotta be a reason. So yeah, he's done well. I mean, the, um, the one thing I was talking about the other day is like, I've grown up around money. Right, just that was just the hand I was dealt. Can't, you know, sulk about that. But I've said it before, and I'll say it again: to have the feeling of coming from nothing and seeing all these amazing things that you've got is something I'm jealous of. Do you know what I mean? Because I know that he walked around his house or you know his place he's got in abroad and just goes. I can see it in his face and just goes can't believe this do you know what I mean and that is like again my life's great so I can't complain but that must be an incredible feeling and I've grown up around that you know you can get better houses but I've always had the, the privilege I was very lucky to grow up in a nice house he grew up in a council house on an estate do you know what I mean so yeah I, I sort of some days we'll go for walks around his house and he, he loves to buy land so he'll like got his house with loads of acres and then he would just go to like the farmer there or another person there and buy that off him. And he loves to like, that, see that field down there? I bought that, that's mine, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the look on his face, he's like, I can't believe I've got all this. So yeah, I can never get that, but you know. Um, do, you, do you intend, like with your daughters, do you intend to sort of do it differently or, and I mean this with all due respect, like, or are you okay with them growing up privileged? It's so, it's so difficult because you want to give them the best, you know, you want to give them such a great life. But the only thing that you just pray is that they have manners and they have respect and they understand the value of hard work, right? And that's down to the parents, really. Right. And that's the, a great job that my dad did because I was spoiled growing up. And, and because he come from that, he wanted to spoil me. Do you know what I mean? But he also didn't want me to be a spoiled brat. So he, he did a good enough job to teach me the values of working hard. And I think now we're at a stage where probably my, my greatest asset is how hard I work, right? I'm not a genius. I've got a big mouth. I've got the gift of the gab. I'm a good salesman, but it's, it's the ability to work and work and work and work. And that's difficult coming from money, quite frankly. Like that's a good quality to have. So with my kids, and again, and sometimes this can come across, I guess, sexist a little bit, but I have two daughters. And if I had a son, I would probably be stricter and give him a bigger kick up the backside and say, no, listen, I want you to, but I'll just want to spoil them. But at the same time, there's the fine line, you know, between, like my mum, she has racehorses, right? She loves horses. And I will send my kids who are 11 and eight round to the stables on Saturdays and Sundays. And they'll work for six hours mucking out the stables and I'll pay them, do you know what I mean? But they enjoy it, and it, it's great for them. They're in the outdoors, off their phones. and you know, But it's just understanding. You, you work hard, you get rewarded. That's the basic. And that's what I used to do. So my dad would say to me when we were growing up, right, clean all my shoes, right? Ten pairs. 
and I'll give you 50p a pair. Back then, it was quite a lot of money. You know, it's five pounds. But, you know, you do a job, and the better job, the more shiny the shoe, might give you some more. So it's just, it's little tiny things. But at the same time, you work hard to be able to give your kids a great life. And it's very difficult for them to not be, like, when I grew up, I was traveling all over the world, you know, in business class and first class, and we were going on cruises, and we were staying in villas, and we had great cars and great houses. How you can't, it's very difficult to be normal. Do you know what I mean? And it's the same for, for my kids, is that they don't lead a normal lifestyle, and nor did I growing up. So I think if you can just, you know, like I said, understand the value of hard work, but manners and kindness cost nothing. Do you know what I mean? And they should be in everybody. doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor or you're happy or you're sad. You know, generally, these are things that there's no excuse for not being those things, you know? Um, but it's not easy. Like, they've got the same thing I had, is they will be Eddie Hearn's daughters. And I was Barry Hearn's son. That's all I was growing up. I'd go to the boxing show. It's Barry's boy. No one knew my name. It's just Barry's boy. It's Barry's boy over there. It's Barry's boy over there. And that's what—that's the, the hardest thing for them is to go and achieve something in their own right. But that's what drove me because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be Barry's son. Mm-hmm. I wanted people to go, oh, that's, that's Eddie Hearn's dad, which they do now and we joke about. But, so that should drive you to make your own mark in life. I mean, and I hope they don't want to come into the family business. I hope they want to do something different. Not really because I just feel that... Well, then who's going to run it after you? Uh, it's fine. It doesn't have to go on forever. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm hopefully going to be around for another 20 or 30 years, but I felt obligated to do it because growing up, that's all my dad talked about. One day, son, you know, this will be yours and you've got to go out there and you've got to carry this on. So although I'm absolutely over the moon to do it and I love the, the business more than anything, and I went out into the wide world myself first, I was always going to do that. That was my role in life was to carry on what he built. And that's how it should be, it's my responsibility. But I just feel that for them, it might limit them finding their passion for what they might wanna do or could do. You know. But listen, if they have a passion for the family business and they say, no, I wanna be like my dad or I wanna be like my granddad or you know, my sister is also a shareholder and a director of the business, she runs the TV side, then I'm fine with that. As long as they follow their passion, and their dreams, but I don't want them to feel like, oh, I've got to carry it, you know, I've, it's my responsibility now, because there's a lot of pressure on the shoulders. I'd rather they found something else that was more enjoyable sometimes. There wasn't the pressure. Because people don't realize, I know that we travel around the world, we do shows and the, the business is, the, is going well, but still pressure of running a big business and responsibility. And, you know, in the moment, especially in a pandemic, you're driving a business that has I don't know, 200 employees worldwide, which is the size of our company, and they're reliant upon you. It's on you, really. You know, you've got teams of people, but ultimately, you're driving the ship. And the business, people's salaries, people's livelihood, ultimately depends on your direction. It's quite a big responsibility. So whatever they're happy to do and whatever they have a passion for, I'm happy for them to follow within reason. Just, Just to say, Ed, the first time I ever met you, Okay. This is when I first got into boxing. I think I might have met you in person, I want to say maybe two years after I got into it. 
I didn't really know much about you. Obviously, I knew you were a promoter. I didn't know your backstory. I didn't know anything. But when I met you, I remember thinking that you were, and this is genuine, I was like, oh, he's a cool guy. He's really funny. He's got a good personality. That's what I remember thinking. And so if that means anything, you were raised right because you didn't come off like some cocky prick. Yeah, Trust me, I've come across many of them where they they believe like they're better than other people. I've never really, I was like that. I was was quite horrible as a kid. Not horrible, but just flash and like, but listen, when you're full, but when you're 14 and 15 and you're hanging around with Eubank and Naz and Bruno and Lennox Lewis going to all the, like, walking their belts into the ring, how can you not be anything but Flash, you know? So, um, I've, I've, you change a lot through your life, you know, like the, the man I am now compared to the man I am when I was in my early 20s or even 20s, totally different. Like, looking back, you know, I was loud, I was brash, I was flash. I was probably quite insecure, really. Do you know what I mean? Like, always again, because you're looking as someone else's son or, you know, you sort of, you want to break out. You Now is the happiest time because I'm incredibly comfortable and happy, not financially, just in myself. So I wake up in the morning, yeah, I could think, probably go to the gym a bit more. Do you know what I mean? But I don't really, it's not that I don't care, but you know when you're comfortable, and that just comes with age. You don't, you don't have to tell liars, you know, in anything you do because you don't care. And that comes, you know, telling the truth is important, but that comes with like a few things. So it's like, number one, that comes with um, being really rich, right? Where you don't give a, you don't care anymore. Number two is you just do not give a fuck. And number three is because you're comfortable with yourself. You have no problem telling people. And that's reflected in our business where we can be truthful. Some people might not always like it, but we have good relationship with the fighters. I mean, you know, my relationship with Canelo and Eddie, you know, has really grown over the last, and it's like, it's such a simple relationship that we sit down and if everyone's honest and everyone's working to the same page and you deliver your promises and what you say, life can be really simple. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Speaking of Eddie Reynoso, we know that he called you the best promoter in the world. Well, that's nice because he's, prob- <laughs> well, he's the best trainer in the world. I mean, he's on an incredible run at the moment. But um, I don't know, working, the, the guys take the mickey out of me uh, in, the, in the office because... I sort of come in and I say, oh, I was just, just talking to Canelo out there. And they, they're like, they go to me, ooh, Canelo, friend, friend. But it is, like, um, you know, to get the opportunity to work with him is, is flattering, really. I mean, we, have, we work with the two biggest stars in boxing, Anthony Joshua and Canelo Alvarez. And they are probably the two easiest people I've ever dealt with. Like, they should be the, the two most difficult, right? Yeah, the biggest divas. Canelo's done all his stuff in there. He's just done an hour satellite calls. You know, he and, and AJ just has time for everybody. I know he can't do all the media interviews. I know you don't always get your stuff with him, but, but he's, he, when someone trusts you, it's so rewarding as a promoter. So when Eddie Reynoso turns around to me and says, Eddie, you're the best promoter. We trust, you know, we pick you. We trust you. We put our career in your hands in that respect. That, the responsibility that gives you, I'll never, ever let anyone down. The, the ones where you have a weaker relationship with a fighter is where you don't have a relationship with a fighter or the trainer, and there's someone in the middle that doesn't want you to get close. I've had it so many different times. 
you know. Um, Not putting you on the spot, but I mean, but kind of sorry. But I'm, I'm, did you have that feeling when Canelo was signed with Oscar in Golden Boy? Did you feel like you there was that barrier in dealing with Canelo? No, because I, I, it wasn't really my right to deal with Canelo. So, but this is when they're signed. I'm talking about a barrier when they're signed to you. You know, a good example might be Carl Frampton, maybe, right? We used to promote Carl Frampton. And Barry McGuigan was his manager. You know, we had a good relationship with Barry. But Barry would never let you get close to Carl, right? And when you don't have that personal relationship with a fighter, it's not that you won't fight for them, but you wouldn't take a bullet for them. Do you know what I'm saying? And, you know, Barry was protective. He was, you know, he was the manager. He was a proud manager and you know and you'd never get that relationship with a fighter so much so that when we when he left Carl hated me and I never you know I did great things for Carl Frampton and I never really fell out with him at all but we never had a relationship there's been plenty of other fighters as well um, who are the same but they're generally there's very few fighters that have have not left Matchroom but stopped working with Matchroom who we wanted to keep but the ones that we did, and Carl was one of them, was because we didn't have a relationship. If I, I believe that if I have a relationship with you, you'll never leave Matrim and me because we're the best at what we do. And I give 110% and I won't let you down. If we don't have a relationship, maybe we're not the best at what we do because I can't invest my heart and emotion into what I do. So like I see AJ as not just the most important client that I have, but my friend. But like, I'd never let him down. You know, I can't, I don't know Canelo well enough to be, say he's my friend and, you know, but I, I respect him and he's put his faith in me and he's trusting me. And I, I, you know, I would say to any fighter, particularly the ones that we represent, try and have that relationship with me because if you get me, well, oh, mate, I'm the best person to have on the team. Seriously, because... I'll fight for you. I mean, I'll, I'll fight for you anyway. Anyone that signs with us, I'm invested. I'm in. But you know, Tony Bellew is the best example. You know, Tony Bellew would say to me, I would say to Tony, right, this is what we want to do. David Hay, blah, blah, blah. This is the deal. Tony, I've pushed and pushed. What do you think? And he'd say, mate, whatever you tell me is right, I'm doing. Like, that's the feeling that, like, shit. So you're putting your whole trust in me, your career, your finances, everything. And that's a massive trust thing. You know, there's people out there thieving in the industry, right? There's promoters out there not paying fighters or not paying them for a year. If I wanted to do that to Tony Bellew, I could have done it like that. But with that trust and that relationship, I would never, ever, ever let him down. It's not how we work anyway, but someone like that, God, mate, you'd go above and beyond to deliver. And that's when you see the emotion on fight night, do you know what I mean? With me making a prat out of myself or trying to cuddle him and he went, you know, like all the memes and stuff like that. And Carl Froch, the same. And AJ, the same, you know. AJ is his own boss. You know, him and 258, his management company. We're his promoters. We have a very close relationship and we're a great team. But ultimately, he still's put his trust in me. He could have signed with any promoter, but he chose us and he thinks we're the best. And when Eddie Renoso says... Eddie Hearn's the best promoter in the world. You know, I want to pout like a peacock. Yeah, but like, you know, and we got, we got so much, I mean, we've got some, I've got such a big mouth, Michelle, you know, but we've got some really big news coming 
in the next couple of weeks with Eddie Reynoso and Canelo, you know, about boxing in Mexico. And this is part of our global expansion. But um, the one thing I found with Canelo was, he's like, we're trying, and this is, this is, there's a lot of similarities between him and AJ, actually, in terms of their focus for boxing and their drive. And you've been around AJ, right, for years. You know that when you get him relaxed, he is one of the funniest guys. His laugh is infectious. His energy is infectious. And I think the best content you get from AJ is when he's chilled and when he's just joking about and when he's being normal. And that's the same with Canelo. But you never get that. And he's let our team... Matcha Media, follow him around. You know, I don't know if you saw the thing yesterday where he's singing to his daughter on the phone. I know, but like that's that shows people the real person, not a machine, not a robot, not a guy that gets up at five o'clock in the morning and runs six miles and goes back to bed. And like that's part of the journey, but showing people these guys are normal, but the job they do is not normal, right? AJ the same. AJ around his friends, laughing and joking. It's brilliant to watch. Brilliant to watch. But that's the kind of access that you need. Um, but Canelo is and I don't mean this disrespectfully to him but it's like he's it's just like he's a kid do you know what I mean and AJ's like that as well like I see them just as like this young man who just loves the sport and he's just you know they're quite shielded because they're superstars but when you peel it off they're just the same young kid that walked in the gym with a dream and in their dream. Yeah, but how do you, the winners, the true winners in life at that level are the ones that have the passion that, like, they should be the ones that lose in this sport. They should be the ones that aren't tough anymore because this is such a brutal sport that if you came from nothing with a dream to make something in the sport and you got it all and you got the money and you got the belts and you got the fame... How do you still be that same tough son of a bitch and want it as much as you did when you first walked through those gym doors? That's a special person, especially in boxing. And I know that AJ wants it more now than he did when he walked through the gym doors. Canelo the same. I, I think they're the special ones. I've seen it with fighters over the years and probably the greatest example is Naz, Right? who was probably one of the most naturally gifted fighters of all time, he lost the hunger. You know, when he, when he got money, when he got titles, when he got everything that he always dreamed of, he wasn't the same fighter. You know what I mean? And that uh, a lot. Cool. By the way, so it should. Yeah. It's not normal to, to, to be able to compete at the top level and put yourself through such horrible physical pain and torture when you've got everything and you don't need anything else. But they're called winners, right? And they can't lose. And that is where AJ and Canelo are so similar in their drive and their love for boxing. But it still comes from passion and love for what you do. It goes back to our earlier conversations. Because that's when you're dangerous. When you love what you do, when it doesn't feel like a job, when you're prepared to do it all day, every day, and commit your entire life to something, that's, and if you've got ability, that's when you're completely unbeatable. You know, and Canelo might be unbeatable. Might be, you know. But that goes for any job, any sport, any business, anything. If you love what you do and you have ability, you're very, very dangerous. Well, the, since we're on the topic of um, 
the, the two, uh, Anthony Joshua and Canelo. First, let's, let's, let's speak about the, the upcoming fight this weekend, February 27th here in Miami, uh, Canelo versus Yildirim. Let's be honest, it wasn't a fan favorite when it was announced. It is his mandatory, but then you get a lot of people who say, well, how did he end up the mandatory? He hasn't fought in two years. Um, he lost his last fight to Durrell, but here we are. I will say about that fight that he lost to Durrell, um, one judge had him up widely. I think one had it close and one had it to Durrell or something like that. But it was a technical decision, wasn't it? So he, a lot of people thought he was winning that fight against Durrell, who is a good fighter. When you ask why he's mandatory, that's a question for the governing bodies and for the WBC. I think being totally honest about this fight, this fight is a good fight to fit in amongst Canelo's normal schedule. So if this fight was a Cinco de Mayo fight or a September fight, I think it would be a bit of a letdown for the fans. But to see him out eight weeks after Callum Smith to take care of his mandatory and then go nine weeks later against Billy Joe Saunders, that's what's called impressive. And I think he acknowledges that. You know, he's not a guy who, he knows what the fans are thinking, right? And he wants to satisfy them. He, want, he wants to get the adoration of fans. And he knows that fighting Yildirim on Cinco de Mayo would not have got him that. So he looked at his schedule and he went, you know what? If I beat Callum Smith, I'm WBC world champion, but I'm going to have to fight Yildirim. Okay, well, let's do that quickly in February. The only danger with, with that is, is when you finish the Callum Smith fight and you've done your camp before it, how many weeks off did he have after the Callum Smith fight of those eight weeks, right? Did he have one? Did he have four? Do you know what I mean? Right. So there is the danger that he may not be as well prepared for this fight as he was for the Callum Smith fight. Now, will that matter? The only thing I'll say about Yildirim is, I promise you an exciting fight because he's got plenty of balls and he's got a lot of heart and he won't run and he won't try and survive. Do you know what I mean? He'll come out, he'll take a look and he'll go for it. It's not a good idea either. But I just, but at least this is not a guy that will come and back up against the ropes and, you know, take a few and take a knee. He will try to knock Canelo out and he may get brutally knocked out trying to do it but I promise he'll go for it and he's got a tremendous coach in Joel Diaz I mean really one of the great stories of this fight is the two probably two of the best coaches in boxing in Eddie Reynoso and Joel Diaz you know um, and he's a lovely guy Yildirim but he's been saying to me and Amit you know Amit is hilarious Amit owner I prom we promise you a great fight this weekend and I believe him I don't think they'll win but I believe they'll give it everything. I believe they'll let their hands go. Well, that when he first came into the gym, I mean, look, there was a lot to be worked on at that point. He, he did say that he, he found that he had good boxing ability, but he, he also realized that, look, there's a lot of things that we have to work on here, especially when you're going against the, arguably the pound for pound number one. You know what I mean? So uh, a lot of people look at Yildirim through the Eubank performance. And actually, if you watch that fight back, I mean, the combination that Eubank knocked him out was, was phenomenal, right? The speed of it was, was fantastic. But he was, it wasn't like he was getting smashed to pieces. I mean, he was, he was nonstop having a go. And at the time, Eubank was in his prime. And when Eubank's on top and he's letting his hands go, he looks great. And he got caught by a flurry of shots with great speed. And it was a really good knockout. So then people say, people don't give Eubank any credit anyway. So, oh, well, Eubank knocked him out. He must be, you know, and he wants to fight Eubank again, Yildirim. But listen, he's a massive underdog in the fight. But I think it'll be exciting. Because I think 
Like, how do you beat Canelo? Well, the only way... That's the million-dollar question. <laughs> the only way you might beat Canelo, I guess. And again, like, I think his boxing has improved so much that people used to say, well, if you're a boxer and a mover, you can outwork him. Mayweather, Trout, Lara. But now he's a bit of a boxer and mover. I mean, his defence is, like, the best in, in boxing. I do think that the only per or sorry the person with the best chance to beat him is Billy Joe Saunders because Billy has that something inside him where he's a winner as well like he's never lost he truly believes it and on the night he's capable of something really special but he is going to have to produce something on the night that is beyond special to beat him but he believes he can do it Tyson Fury had been quoted saying he feels like if there's a person to beat Canelo, it's Billy Joe. But that he would probably have liked to have seen him have a fight or two before that. He just, he just did 12 rounds against Martin Murray. You know, I mean, I know he was out for a year. So was everybody. Right. So was Canelo, by the way. And he just did 12 rounds against Martin Murray in November. So it's not like he's not been active. But also, Billy Joe's not getting any younger. This is it. He's in his prime. So you can't pick and choose when you get a shot at the biggest name in boxing. But thankfully... Hey, can we do this next year? Like this time? More, you know. <laughs> but, but thankfully, he's just had 12 rounds. So I, I think Billy... Billy needs fear, right? When, when Billy boxed Caceres in LA, he thought it was going to be a stroll in the park. He actually had to come from behind to knock him out. When he boxed Martin Murray, he trained hard, but he knew in the back of his head he ain't losing this fight. When he trains, you know Billy, like he's, he, he needs to have a bit of fear. But when he has the fear, look at Billy Joe's best two performances. There are two performances against fighters, but I don't even think his Eubank performance was that good. He beat him. But I don't think he had massive fear against Eubank. The two fights where I think, not fear, but felt like he could lose, was Andy Lee and David Lemieux. I mean, the Andy Lee performance was outstanding. But the David Lemieux performance, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night for that fight. I thought David Lemieux would knock him out. And I woke up in about the second round. And I remember just finding it on TV. I turned it on. And I was mesmerised by what I saw. I mean, it was such a schooling. But Canelo is like, you know... I said earlier, Canelo at 100%, I don't think anyone else at 100% can beat him. But somehow bring that 100% down. That might be mentally with Billy Joe. Might drive him crazy. I mean, it's a shame with all the travel stuff. It looks like he won't be here this weekend. But he needs to get into him. Do you know what I mean? He needs to play those little spells on him that he does well and Tyson Fury does well. And those, you know, to upset his confidence and his flow. Make him second guess himself. But I don't even know if that's possible. Because he's so cool and calm and relaxed. But I'll tell you something now. Canelo against Billy Joe. He's a monster fight. Monster fight. You wait till that comes around in May. That's a big fight. Big fight. I guess the, the million-dollar question at this point is, um, where does that fight end up? Um, we're hearing rumors of Mexico. We're hearing rumors of, of a... Some, Billy Joe's team said to me the other day, is it in Mexico? I said, no, it won't be in Mexico. The, the two likely spots, don't rule out an international fight, but yeah. the two likely spots are Las Vegas, who are pushing hard for that fight, obviously be massive for them to get that yes they're going to 20% on the 1st of March I believe they'll be at least 50% it's 
by May on May the eighth. Um, and then the other one is Dallas, Dallas Cowboys. You know, I mean, that Alam was you at the Alamo Dome? I don't think you were. You were, yeah. Great, great venue indoors, wasn't it? But as a promoter, and I've seen quite a lot, and I've got a long way to go. But to to promote that fight at the Alamo Dome was pretty cool. To do it at the Miami Dolphins, like I know we were restricted to fifteen thousand, but still pretty fucking cool. <laughs> to do Canelo Billy Joe at Dallas Cowboys Stadium or Allegiant Stadium, which has not been done before in Vegas, the new one. That's pretty, you know. So um, I'm just, you know, we have two fights left with him. This is the first fight I've ever done with Canelo where I can actively support him. Because last time I was funking for Callum Smith. The time before that I was funking for Danny Jacobs. The time before that I was funking for Rocky Fielding. And when I fight, when Billy Joe fights him, I'll be funking as well for Billy Joe and Canelo. You know, so, but this is like the first time where I can actually get in. So, but if he beats Billy Joe, and I, I really believe, as I said, Billy Joe is the guy that has the best chance of beating him, then he'll go on to fight um, Caleb Plant for the Undisputed. And, and that's beyond my deal with him. But hopefully we work well together and, and you know, we, we work together for a long time. He's a special fighter, special fighter. I mean, I've been watching boxing live for 35, 33, 34 years. And I don't think I've ever seen a fighter like him up close, you know. And the Callum Smith fight was the one fight that I watched and thought, fuck. Like, Callum's the best 168-pounder in the world. And it was like, it was just, it weren't even competitive, really. And being honest, you know. I find it really interesting because, I mean, I've covered so many of Canelo's fights over the years. And, I, and I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever seen him this happy. Um, it always seems like there was always some sort of distance between the media and him. And it was like, you were so lucky if you could even come within 10 feet of him. Like it was just, it was, I don't know, it was strange. And now he's so available. Like he's so like, you see him and he's just like, he's there. And I, I think part of it might be the bubble. And I think the other part of it is, I don't think the relationship was good with his form, with his old promoters. And I don't think he was happy. So he probably kind of felt that, he didn't want to do, you know, like if he was instructed to do something or it was almost like, am I doing that for you? Or for, whereas now it's like, we've got the relationship where we set everything out for him, but I, I'm shocked by how relaxed he is. Not just this week, but the Callum Smith week and the time that he gives the media and the smile on his face. Like Michelle, when I went into the change room after the Callum Smith fight, they all had a laptop out, right? And I went over, I said, what are you guys looking at? Oh, and they were looking at the ring walk. And they were playing the ring walk back, right? Remember the Maharachi yeah, band, yeah. final countdown and the fireworks. And he went to me, I've never had a ring walk like that. That was the most incredible thing. I've, and he was like, it's like a 15-year-old, you know. Oh, and it like the fight, whoa, la, 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 you know. And I said, so this week, I've gone absolutely ballistic on the ring walk, right? Honestly, wait till you see it. So, and I've told him, and he's like, he's so excited. And it's, it's just fresh. You know, so he's happy. And a happy fighter is a dangerous fighter, especially when it's Canelo Alvarez. So, um, yeah, it's good to see it. Like, people have, a lot of people have said that, what you just said. You know, wow, he's like, like even you got, I mean, you've, you've known him, you're American, you've been around. But even like the IFL and the Box Social guys, like, we just had a 20-minute interview with Canelo. Can't believe it. So available now. I just... I, I do think that's because he's much happier and he trusts us that we are... You know that we're bringing the right people in 
and that he's got to do his a lot. You know, he's just come down. I mean, he's done about three hours then. Yeah. He'd done an hour with a sat on the satellite calls to Worldwide Media. And he came out and I went, good work. And he went, but as if to say, fucking okay, that's my lot. Going up to bed now. But I just think, you know, like I said, even this sort of stuff, you know, with the guy, like he just, it's the little touches. When, when people have got everything, they don't want, you know, they want, it's the thoughtful stuff. And, um, you know, to, to be able to do stuff like that with the ring wall and to see a pound for pound number one, like the biggest star in boxing say to you, oh, that was amazing. You think, wow, okay. He says, every ring walk I've done, I've never really had anything like that. I'm like, what have they been doing? You know what I mean? So there's so much more to do with Canelo Alvarez. And because he's so good, you can have the confidence that they, they will happen because the story will go on and on and on. Um, on to the other superstar, Anthony Joshua. And if, if he's still my favourite, he's still my number one. Aww. Don't know. A little heart sign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we know that there's this ongoing legal issue right now with Fury and and Wilder. I don't know what the update is on that. So if you can give us a little insight, if you have any, that'd be great. But in the event that this continues to draw out, the most important thing for you is going to be your guy. And that's keeping him active. So what happens if the legal stuff continues to draw out? Do you move on? Is it Usyk? Is it, is, are you going to wait for Fury? There's no, there's no issue for that with us. A few people have mentioned that that's not going to stop this fight. And we have no concerns. Firstly, I know it is our problem because our guy's in the fight, but it's not really our problem. We have no control over that situation. We've been assured by Bob Arum that that is not a problem. We believe that. That's not going to stop this fight. Um, things are hotting up now. You know, AJ come out on social yesterday. And, you know, AJ's the boss. AJ and 258, you know, his management company. Um, we're part of that team and we work for Anthony. He's my boss. And when he speaks up, I've got a big mouth. It's my job to talk. I'll probably say things sometimes and AJ thinks, what's he talking about? You know what I mean? But that's my job, and I, I'm in the firing line all the time. I take the bullets, and I, I don't speak for him, but I guess I speak on his behalf. But when he speaks, that's when you know things are really, you know, he wouldn't come out with what he came out with yesterday unless we were close and on the mark, and we are close. And um, we've all worked really hard on this. Everybody involved from both sides, you know, from AJ's side, AJ... 258 and, and us we've as always made sure everything is right for Anthony and Fury's team have been working really hard as well and these things don't just you know I've seen Tyson's tweets today oh I think Tyson thinks that AJ don't really want it right it couldn't be more wrong but it has taken time but it this you know it's the biggest fight in boxing. It don't just all get signed, all the paperwork just gets signed off overnight. You've got a lot of parties working together. Some don't like each other, right? But all of them recognise this is the biggest fight in boxing. So, stand by. Good things coming. And another good thing is is knowing that the WBO is going to yes, allow the... Really yeah. Important. Really important. I mean, you you're always going to upset someone. But sometimes you have to make a decision for the good of the sport. And I feel like 
although probably Alexander Usyk wasn't particularly happy, and he'll get his shot at the world title, he may end up just becoming world champion if he beats Joe Joyce or vice versa. Ultimately, you can't stop this fight from being undisputed. Otherwise, we're all wasting our time. You know what I mean? You have to respect the rules and you have to respect mandatory changes. But every now and again, a fight comes along. So this, isn't one, this isn't just the biggest fight in boxing. This is one of the biggest fights of all time. So, and it has to be undisputed, and it will be. And that's great news. So when can we anticipate Usyk-Joyce? Well, oh, well, that one. Well, I think that's going to Perspids. Okay. You know, um, I work with Alex Krasuk and, you know, um, obviously Alexander Usyk and Frank Warren as Joe Joyce, and I, I just see it going to Perspids. And to be honest with you, if I was both guys, I'd probably let it go to Perspids. I'd say, go on then. You know, Frank and Eddie, have a, have a little bid up and see who gives me the most money. So I think that's what will happen. And ultimately, probably the winner of that fight will end up becoming elevated to world champion because Fury and AJ are going to have two fights. And the winner of the first fight has to fight the winner of Usyk Joyce next. And that's probably not going to happen. So that, you know, it's an important fight. No one wants to be gifted the world heavyweight title. So sometimes, you know, that can really work against you when you're gifted the title. Because you never really get the credit, do you? It's still you start fighting the big fights. We see that happening now. And it's a shame because, I mean, I think Devin Haney's a good example as well. Devin Haney chased the WBC because he wanted Lomachenko. That's the only reason. And when he was made mandatory to Lomachenko, top rank petitioned with the WBC for Lomachenko to be made franchise. Lomachenko never asked for it because Lomachenko was a fighter. He would have fought Devin Haney. But then they elevated Haney to world champion and then people say, oh, well, you're a paper champ or an email champ. It's not his fault, but Dev is only going to get the credit that he deserves when he fights the top names. And it's not because he won't fight them. They won't fight him. You know, I had a, an exchange with Bill Haney the other day. He said, oh, you said that Dev needs a breakout fight. He does need a breakout fight, but it's not because he won't take these fights. They won't fight him. In my opinion, Devin Haney is the best lightweight in the world. I cannot believe that fans give Ryan Garcia a pass for not fighting Devin Haney, right? And by the way, I love Ryan Garcia. I think he's brilliant for the sport, but he's mandatory to Devin Haney, right? The whole reason for the Luke Campbell fight was a final eliminator to fight Devin Haney. His broadcasters, zone want him to fight Devin Haney. There's a lot of money for him to fight Devin Haney. But he won't fight him, and no one's even talking about it because he's deflecting it with Tank and Pacquiao. Okay, they're massive fights. If they don't happen, why doesn't he fight Devin Haney? Teofimo Lopez against Devin Haney. I said to Bob Arum, we'll do it on ESPN. Do it on pay-per-view. Oh, it's not a pay-per-view fight yet. I disagree. Right? So Devin will fight anybody. But if he can't get Ryan Garcia and if he can't get Teofimo Lopez, I love the Jorge Linares fight because he's a big name. He's a great fighter. Star-wise, that's a banging fight. And that's the kind of fight that Dev needs for people to go, okay, this kid's... Because the others have taken those step up. But that's because they've found dance partners. And when you're really, really good, it's hard to find a dance partner. Demetrius Andrade is another example of that. But he's got a good fight against Liam Williams. The problem is, in the US, everyone says, Liam Williams, who's he? Now, you've been around the UK long enough to know that's a real fight, right? But 
is know, that, that, so that is going to be here in the United States. Is it going to be in Texas? Is it going to be... I want to do it on the East Coast. I don't want to do it in Providence. But, you know, crowds permitting. I'd like to get some crowds at that fight. Um, that's going to be mid-April. And then we're looking to get Devin out end of April. So well, Realistically, right now, the, the only crowds are really in Florida and in Texas. But that is changing in New York coming up. This, this will be in April, so we're only in February. So I believe in America. I mean, it's quite fascinating, isn't it, in your country where you've got one state, you can't go out of your house, and then the one next door, you, everyone's out, and it's like partying. But you ask yourself... That's different governors for you. That's an interesting, you know, but... but it has it made a massive difference to the numbers the way this state's operated versus California. And I think, yeah, but the cases are really bad in California still where it's, you know, people, are, things aren't open and here they are open and, you know, I don't know. The numbers like, aren't very different. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I know, I find it very interesting too. Quite interesting about around here is, is when you see people out, I mean, obviously we're in a bubble here and people are strict telling you to put the mask on, but people have their masks on just walking on the street. I know not everyone, but so you're in a state that's effectively open, but people are still respecting the fact that you should wear a mask and you should do all this kind of stuff. So I just find it bizarre that nightclubs are open and bars are open. Are they open? Yeah. But I think it's a 12 o'clock curfew or 11.30 curfew. So I knew bars were open. I mean, I'm staying an extra week. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, apparently I can imagine. I guess though, if you were American, you'd come to Florida, wouldn't you? If you're in this pandemic and you could travel somewhere where everything was normal, if you were comfortable doing it or you'd had it before, especially if you had the vaccine, yeah. I'd come here. Yeah. I think a lot of people are. Well, you know, what's interesting is I just said yesterday, I'm like, I'm actually leaving England. I'm not going to be living there anymore just because the travel restrictions have not permitted me to really kind of come and go as I need to. Before, I used to just jump a flight, be there for a month, come home, be here for two weeks, go back. I can't do that anymore. So um, I'm actually looking at properties here in Florida. Nice. Plus, I know that there's a lot more going on currently, and I don't know how the climate's going to change. It could it could get better, it can get worse, doesn't matter, but I know that the way that Florida's ran, um, there seems like we're going to be having crowds here, and that's not really going to change no matter what other states do. Over the next six months, I mean, we're here now we're in texas march 13th for chocolatito strada and we could be you know we could be in florida for andre and uh williams right. you know and then devin haney mm-hmm. against lenares so uh yeah hopefully things will start opening up again like in the uk they've said may the 19th will start crowds back they haven't said what size they're not going to go 100 percent capacity straight away so people are saying to me oh you're going to move all your shows back no because we can't rely on that. You know, we can't let fighters down on their dates. So one day, one day in the summer, I think we'll get back to normality. But it's going to be wild. I'm just excited that we're even able to have crowds right now in certain places. So that people, it'll take time for people to adjust back to normality. And maybe, like, I think that house parties or catering or food like at home or having friends around in the garden. Like that, that might become a bit more of a new norm rather than, do you want to meet down the pub? Right. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I think that when people... It's natural to want to interact with people. It's not natural to be isolated at home. So that, no matter what happens, I never allow myself to get comfortable with that idea because it's not normal. And what I mean is it's not healthy. No, I so mentally, physically, like even if you... 
I mean, who doesn't? It's kind of, you know what I'm saying? You know, like when you just go to the hotel room and you just lay on the bed and go, oh, it's lovely in here, you know? That's because you're married with kids. (laughs) Because I talk all day. So when I get a chance not to talk, it's quite... For me, it's nothing new. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm alone again. I'm in here. I'm chilling. I just just hear you laughing in your room to yourself. As I walk past the corridor, I think, I swear I heard that laugh everywhere. So. Yeah, I mean, but, but we'll see. We'll see how it all sort of plays out. So I'm excited for it. But on to another thing. You're looking at my notes. Do you think so? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Just wondering how Not too. Got I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, mate. I appreciate it. Shut up. Go away. Are you trying to, like, cut in or something? Oh, 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 dig, dig, Andrew. Okay, all right. So, anyways, uh, let's talk about Triple G. The idea of seeing Canelo versus Triple G is obviously something. At least I, I would like to see a third fight. But we know that Canelo already has 2021 laid out. We know what his agenda is. He wants to um, become undisputed at super middle. But I know that you have said something along the lines of uh, Triple G being interested in moving up if he can get the fight with Canelo. What have the talks been like with Team Triple G? And obviously, I, I would imagine that he wouldn't be considering that until the following year because it's not like he's going to get the fight anytime soon because he doesn't have a world title at Super Middle. The focus for Canelo is to win every belt 168 pounds and become undisputed. I don't think he rules out the third fight with Triple G. I think he'd fight everybody. But he's made it quite clear to me that what he wants to do is fight the champions at 168. My role in Team Golovkin is a bit different to my role in Team Canelo. It's more on the promotional side in terms of staging the events, you know, the undercard, the, you know, the, the logistics. And we've got a great relationship. I'm not as involved as in the planning of the strategy for Triple G, which I'd, I would like to be involved with, and I think it would be a major asset too, but you know, he has his own sort of vision in that respect and his people working for him. Um, I think that the Canelo fight can happen, but I do also think that Triple G is in, you know, I know he, he's still in his prime, maybe the latter end of his prime, but he has to move in those big fights now. You know, he boxed Zerometa, got that out of the way, he's mandatory. I love the Mungia fight. I love the Maratta fight. I quite like the Chris Eubank fight, you know, in the UK. I think Triple G is a big global star who has the ability to box around the world. Everybody knows Triple G around the world, you know, and we know he's a big star here, but he's also a big star in London, you know, in Japan, um, in Eastern Europe, you know, in Kazakhstan, etc. So um, I think he needs to have a plan in place, ASAP, because I don't think that plan involves Canelo, certainly not in May and certainly not in September. So, um, and ideally unification fights at that because... Well, you know, it's always disappointing when people won't fight Demetrius Andre. And, you know, I know that Triple G considered Demetrius Andre, but the one I just can't understand is Charlo. You know, not fighting Demetrius Andre. Because we've offered Charlo a fortune. He said, no, you know, I'll speak to our Heyman. I said, okay. We'll fight on Fox, no problem, or Showtime, whatever you want to do. And we'll fight for the same package that Derevchenko got. And this is a champion where you can unify. You know, in every interview he says, yeah, my brother's unified, I want to unify as well. Well, go on then. 
but they won't entertain a fight with Demetrius Andre because they know he's really, really good. So, you know, I, I like Triple G against Charlo, but obviously when you talk about the politics, Triple G against uh, Mungia is a good fight, you know, for DAZN. It's an all-action fight. So Demetrius Andre confused the shit out of me the other day uh, with his tweets. Yeah. Okay. We all... I was like, Demetrius, we'd quite like to sell this fight. And he's like, yeah, I know, I'm just, just fucking with everyone. It's like, well, clearly, yeah, I was like, hold on, wait, because well, you know, going, is he not fighting Liam yeah, Williams? Yeah, yeah. So he's not fighting a WWE guy. So yeah, yeah he, I see. I didn't catch that tweet at first. The first one that I caught was when he said, "Who is this Liam Williams guy?" I woke up this morning. I had no idea who made this. I'm like, wait, what? What is going on? And then I saw the other tweets, and I was like, what's going on? Confirm that we'd spoken to his team, <laughs> which I had, and we'd all approved everything. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And then I'm like, like, am I tripping? Does he know that we've agreed all this? <laughs> so, yeah, he was just playing around. Nice and it's going to be a good build-up, that fight. Yeah. Liam oh, Will- they are trash-talking yeah. each other. Liam Williams is just, like, nuts. Yeah. And he'll just go for it. And, you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a good fight. Yeah, it is a good fight. Oh, Brooke, let's talk on that. Nothing, really. I just, Calla, I spoke to Calla Sowland. You know, we're talking about maybe doing something with him and Eubank. And I just felt that there's history there. You know, of course... Kel took the Golovkin fight. They had some beef, back talk, back talk. I think Kel must move to 154 if he carries on. Eubanks, of course, at 160. Just, it was a random fight that I quite liked. And then Eubank came out in the media and said, that would be a good warm-up fight. Tune-up. And Kel sort of responded, but, you know, I'm not sure that'll happen. I just like it. I just think it's interesting. All right, let's see. What else do I got on here? I think we might have covered everything. Parker versus Foth this weekend. Yeah, really um, talks of if he beats Foth, yeah. Derek Chisora. Yes, love that fight. That's like, it's not done, but it's pretty much yeah. good to go. I mean, if we can get a deal with David Hay um, and a deal with Joe and with Higgins and Parker, which like I think we're in a good place with, mm-hmm. that I've, I'm planning a really big show on April 24th or May 1st, and that could headline that card. Um, but it's a really good fight with Junior Foth. It's a massive fight for New Zealand. Uh, it's all live on the zone around the world. Um, Far's undefeated, 19 and 0. It's a massive fight for New Zealand. But Parker looks good. Sometimes you see a fighter and you think you look well, you know, look fit and strong. And that's what Joseph Parker looks like to me. I think he's going to knock him out inside six rounds. All right. Don't miss it. I <laughs> don't miss it. Right, listen. Oh. Whoa, whoa. We didn't even, you didn't even get to the fourth Google question. Oh, sorry. Oh, man. All right. Does Eddie Hearn own DAZN? (laughs) Really? Is that it? I wish I did. I wish I did. No, I definitely don't own DAZN. Just like I work for Anthony Joshua and I work for Canelo Alvarez, I work for DAZN. No stakes? No, no stakes in DAZN, unfortunately. But, um, you know, DAZN, I, I feel that fight fans are weird, aren't they? They're never happy, really. <laughs> and along comes this product in DAZN, which really is a godsend for fight fans, right? And if I'm an American and I'm looking at the value that DAZN are delivering for me versus other platforms, versus other price points, versus $80, $90 pay-per-view nights for one night where you can get the whole year of DAZN for virtually that amount of money, and yet people still moan, don't they? Do you know what I mean? Now, what they've got with a global platform is incredible. If you think 
one sport, one platform, right? It's quite unique that I could promote an event in Australia that's seen not just in Australia live on the zone, but globally in every country around the world. And I think if they get this right, this is going to be huge for boxing, huge for boxing. And I think, I think the product's great. I mean, I think what they've done for US boxing, there is, it, however biased you want to be, write it down on a piece of paper and tell me that DAZN in the US is not the best schedule in boxing. Forget the price point. The consistent schedule of boxing offering from DAZN is second to none in America. It's much better than ESPN. It's much, much better than Fox and Showtime. Um, and, you know, that comes from us, that comes from Golden Boy, that comes from the international offerings as well, that comes from the World Boxing Super Series. It is the number one destination for boxing in America. And if they can repeat that in other territories around the world, I think it's going to change the game. One la- you've got steak. <laughs> I think you should change that. Yeah, that. That last speech. But, you know, I'm a believer. And, you know, obviously they pay us a lot of money. But I'm a believer in the product and I'm a believer in the brand and I'm a believer in, in how it can transcend the sport. Last question. I've known you a long time. Yeah? How long? How long? Long time. Eight years? Nine years? Yeah. So why don't you follow me on Instagram? This is quite embarrassing, right? I'll do it now, by the way. <laughs> there are so many people that I don't follow on Instagram. Let me give you an example. Okay. The other day, I posted a Joseph Parker promo. And I tagged Joe Parker, and I went to his profile, and it said, do you want to follow? And I'm like, oh, shit. Well, that right. I followed him, and I've gone to messages and there's like 20 messages from Joseph Parker. And I'm like, I just replied to him and went, mate, I can't believe I don't follow you. But it's just genuinely. And David Avenesian beat Josh Kelly the other night. He came out of the ring. He came up to me and went, maybe you'll follow me on Instagram now. And I was like, I look at my phone. I'm like, oh my God. So if I don't follow you on Instagram, and I should, just out me, just tell me. And you're another one. Right, so I'll I was do it. like, wait a minute. He's met all these people after me. Like, they're all these American people. And I'm like, and you don't even follow it's me. Nothing personal. Don't worry, it's nothing personal. All right, well, it's good to know. I'm team, I'm team Phelps. I'm team behind the gloves. All right, appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. Honest to God, this has been, what, damn near an hour. So I appreciate your time, as always. Thank you, Fight Fans. <laughs> we'll see you for the press conference tomorrow. Yeah, we'll All right, thank you. Bye, Fight Fans. Hey, Fight Fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps. If you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, make sure you do so by clicking this icon right here, or else.